As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the help begins right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Bob Vila here with my home improvement tip of the day. Motion sensor lights are a must for any home security system, but sometimes they get out of whack, turning on and off inappropriately. That's especially common after power outages. Fortunately, resetting motion sensors isn't a big deal. Once you've got your ladder safely positioned, use your hands to gently adjust the bulbs of the unit to where you want the light to shine. Same with the motion detector. Aim it towards the area where you want to detect motion. Next, move the operation switch to the test position, then climb off the ladder and do a brief jig in front of the sensor. If the lights don't illuminate, increase the sensitivity setting of the unit. That's often just a matter of turning a small dial. If the lights come on more often than they should, try decreasing the sensitivity setting. When you have the unit behaving as it should, move the operation switch from test back to the normal setting. Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. Attention all business owners, join Seize Candies, Big Lots, Dollar Tree, and the Spunky Steer at the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands. Availability is now open for restaurants, retail, and more. Located between Alabama and the Tennessee exits where the 10 and the 210 meet, your company can be a part of over 60 retail shops, restaurants, and local businesses. The Tri-City Shopping Center is zoned for multi-use, so call today and schedule an appointment. Ask for Chris Bochamp or John Jennings, 951-684-4400. The Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands. The mall with a heart. The mortgage voice is Jeff Barton, your mortgage advocate here on KCAA. Jeff informs you of the ever-changing mortgage industry. Mortgage loans can be confusing and overwhelming, but Jeff and his guests will help you understand the difference in various loans and help you own or keep your home. Trust is the major issue here, right? If someone doesn't trust you with their most intimate financial details and secrets, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to do a loan. Tune into the mortgage voice every Saturday afternoon at 3 and Sunday at noon here on KCAA. 10:50 a.m. and 106.5 FM. KCAA, where every day is a great day. KCAA, Loma Linda. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
It was through the Savior God showed His love for me. For my sins He paid the price, eternal victory. And the love of Jesus is all that I need. It was love, His love for me. Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. The scriptures tell us as they approached Jerusalem at Bethage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives that he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter you will find a colt tied there on which no one has yet ever sat. And tie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing? Why are you untying the colt? And they spoke unto them, just as Jesus had told them, and gave, they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from fields. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Father, thank you for this, your word. Father, we pray this morning you'll help us to, to interpret correctly and to preach correctly. Father, hide this pastor behind the cross this morning, dear Lord. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to preach the cross this morning, dear Lord. And your great salvation wherewith you have provided for us, dear Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. yeah, please be seated. Amen. Amen. This is a very important week, or a very important time in the Gospel of Mark, um, and where, where they're at, and what's happening. It's the week prior to that Passion Week. I've got to get out of this for a second. It's going to take me. Um, my guilty conscience, I guess, has got me heated up a little bit. <laughs> but it's a very important week. It's the first uh, part of that Passion Week. And this important event is uh, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And it's um, a very uh, important uh, because of its fulfilling of prophecy is one of the things that's happening here. There's a, a couple of events that are happening in close proximity. One of them is the cursing 
of the fig, uh, the fig tree that's going to happen immediately after this, the cleansing of the temple, and then a series of, of battles that Jesus is going to have uh, with his opponent. And so this Passion Week, these last seven days before Jesus is making his way to the cross, is a, a critical week in, in timing and also in the fulfillment of prophecy, as we're going to see um, in just a moment. But what's probably being lost here, even though we see as Jesus enters into the city, the people giving him praise, one of the things that can be lost is the fact that there is a, there is a form of worship that's taking place here, and yet, and yet, it's a misplaced form of worship in many instances because a lot of those folks who are praising Jesus uh, for coming into the city and that this is the son of the Messiah are actually anticipating that he is going to come into the city and he's about to overthrow the, the Roman government. Uh, remember, it's Passover, and that goes back to the Jews' history of where God came in in the book of Exodus and he rescued his people there at the Red Sea. And so they're anticipating some type of political freedom, military freedom that's going to take place at the entry of Jesus. And what is happening? Well, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss what's really happening, which is Jesus is coming in, not just to save men um, from a physical form of bondage, but a spiritual form of bondage. This is actually personal and eternal salvation that's coming in. has nothing to do with a military or political concept, and I submit to you this morning that that is exactly one of the, the misnomers of the Christian faith today, is we try to make the, the Christian faith do all we want it to do for us. We want God to do things, uh, do things our way. We want to do it for us. We want to do it for us as, an, as Americans. You know, we've Americanized uh, Christianity, and it, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Uh, we don't serve an American Jesus. We serve the risen Jesus. We serve Jehovah God. He transcends nations. He transcends men and their political agendas and what they're doing. And so we are seeing Jesus come into the city, and there's going to be a refining moment. There's going to be a refining point, and that refining point is the cross, just as we sang this morning. It's not about us. It's about the cross. And so even though we're seeing this praise take place, and we're, we're not going to uh, dog on them too much about this, but about their false sense of praise, uh, uh, trouble them too much about that, um, it is a misplaced, there's some, in some instances, a misformed, uh, misinformed type of praise that they're going to exhibit here. And so the subject of praise and how we worship God, that is, that is one of the things that we're going to take a look at, at this, this morning. The scriptures tell us that as they approach Jerusalem, and Bethage, and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said, Going to the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. This is a little bit different about how Jesus has been operating in his ministry prior to chapter 11, when he would perform a miracle, and as he performed a miracle, he said, Tell no one of it, and tell no one of it, tell no one of it. And what was happening, many scholars surmised that Jesus had to keep what he was doing to a, uh, keep it subdued until he reached Jerusalem because he didn't want so much attention that they came and they took him away. He was on, he was on his timetable when he was going to come to Jerusalem this particular week. And so it's opposite of that. Instead of saying, be quiet, don't say this, he now tells him, listen, you go in and find a colt. Now, the disciples might have missed it. But the Old Testament scholars and the, the, Jew, and the, the Pharisees and the temple keepers, they would have known what Jesus was talking about because what Jesus was about to do was he was about to be involved, he was about to be involved um, in fulfilling prophecy. And so Jesus is, through his directions, helped setting the stage for he riding into Jerusalem and giving them the opportunity to see this Jesus, this Jehovah riding in Jerusalem. This was a prophecy that was going to be filled, fulfilled out of Zacharias. Now, again, they're thinking that he's going to save them from their, political, from their political bondage. But he has come for a greater purpose. So just in the introduction, we've got three points in the introduction. How can you be a pastor and not have three points? There's three things that Jesus comes to deliver them from, and we still need deliverance from today. And number one is deliverance from their petty political divisions, the things that were dividing them. There were those at that particular time who were wanting to overthrow the government. There were those who uh, were part of underground networks of people who were, tr who were fighting the Romans, killing Romans. And um, there were those who were wanting Jesus to come and take on that role and to, and to do what they wanted him to do. And so that is something that he is coming to save them from. Number one, their petty political divisions. Secondly, he was coming to save them from the minuscule faith that they really possessed towards God. Now remember, the crowds, almost all scholars will tell you, this crowd represents two groups of people, or at least two actions by these people. 
Because in just a week's time, these who had praised him coming into Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is the Lord, this is the son of David, this, the son of the kingdom. I mean, they're praising him every way that you can praise him. In just a few days, they're going to say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And I tell you, we need to be saved from that. We need to be saved from the kind of faith and commitment that one day is saying, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, and we're up here singing and praises for him one day, but we can't stand up for him the next day at the, at the office or at the work or at the water fountain. And I'm telling you, you need, we need some hardcore believers, some Christians who are going to go ahead and stand up for their faith and not be afraid to be embarrassed or hurt or, or even if it really costs you down into the skin because he did tell us to pick up our cross and follow him. And that cross wasn't to walk across a bridge, it was to die upon. And we need, to, we need to be saved not only from our political divisions, our petty political divisions, but also, also the minuscule faith that is really not faith at all. And a third thing is our false expectations of glory. They were thinking, they were thinking, as Garland was writing in one of his commentaries, they were thinking that he was coming to throw off these, this, um, the, the Roman occupation. But they had false expectations of Jesus. And I submit to you this morning that we have a lot of false expectations of Jesus and what, he, what he's going to do in our lives and how he's going to affect us and where we're going to go. We, you need to know the truth about Jesus. We all need to know the truth about Jesus. And that is not only that does he save us, but he has some expectations about us in our life. When you become part of the family of God, I tell you something, it's not, it's not, it's not something you do at your own whim and you do it cavalierly. It requires a commitment. And I'm hoping and praying for our church membership and the community and the other churches that people who come to know the Lord come to know him fully and the full commitment that goes along with following Christ. I say it again, we need some hardcore Christians who are willing to stand up and to do the work that Christ has called us to do. And so, there's some principles I want us to learn, and I think this passage actually brings those out. First of all is the principle of set-aside things. Jesus tells them to go find this colt. Verse 2, go into the city, uh, go into the village opposite you. Immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has yet ever set. Now, most people will miss that. But what that is really in reference to are, is the principle of holy things set aside. From the Old Testament time all the way through the New Testament, and I still believe even to the 21st century, you have this idea or this concept of things that are holy and they're set aside. If you go back to uh, Deuteronomy, if you go back to Deuteronomy and some other Old Testament books, they use verbiage that talks about um, a, a heifer that's never had a yoke put on its back. Or they talk about a colt that was never ridden upon. Now, Brother Mike, why do they do that? Well, because that was a special animal. It's, it's, it's going to be a special animal for a special use. That's how come in the book of Malachi, he condemned the people because they were bringing sacrifices that were blemished or had, were sick. And they were supposed to be a special offering because it was a holy thing. It was going to go to the house of God, the temple of God. And it was a special thing. It was supposed to be set aside. And um, I submit to you this morning that one of the problems we're having, we've lost this idea or this concept of holy things set aside. Jesus called for a colt that had never been ridden because the king of kings, the lord of the universe, was going to ride upon it into his city, Jerusalem. And so he needed a special animal. Go find this colt that has never been set aside. Okay, Brother Mike, go ahead and get to it. What are you talking about? Why is this important? Well, this is very carefully, very, very carefully tied up to the sacrificial, uh, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament theology, there were places, times, and there were actions that were holy. There were holy places, holy mountains, holy cities. There were holy times. That's why you read about the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booth, the Feast of Atonements, and the Feast. And, and you know, we're the, the the Jews and the Christians too. We're the only we're the only people that have a holy day set aside. Did you know the Jews were the only? They took a whole day and set it aside. God gave them a day of rest. Ron talked about this morning in devotion. Why did God do all that? To try to teach him uh, to try to teach people to try to teach people that there are some things that are set aside. All of these things serve as a parable of the holiness and the justice of God. And they're part of God's mean for creating a people who would hear his voice and follow him. That's how come Moses, when he was teaching the people, said, you are not, you've heard that these people over here in Egypt do this. You are not to do this because you're a holy people. You've been set aside. You heard this about the world and how they operate. You don't do this because you're a holy people and you're set aside. Well, some of that imagery is tied up in this cult that he calls for to have for them to go get because who was going to be riding it? The Son of God, a holy God, 
a holy thing. What does that word mean? It means a holy set-aside, hagios. Set aside a perfect thing, something for God's purposes. Can we make that same application today? We sure can. For holy places, holy things, holy people. Let's revisit that thing for just a moment. Your church is a holy thing. Now, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the brick and the mortar of Pruitt Baptist Church. I'm talking about the individuals on the inside of it. You are a holy thing called of God. God gave his own son, Jesus, for you on Calvary. Had his son's blood poured out. You are a redeemed people. That, it doesn't mean that you're better than the people on the outside of this walls. It just means you're a saved people as compared to others who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Somebody say amen. Church, that's good news. You are a special group of people. God, you, you are a holy thing set aside. What about your body? Okay, I know, I know. This is, that pre, this is that old Baptist preacher stuff. But listen, your body is a holy thing. We ought to take care of our bodies. And I have no stones to throw here in, any, in anything other than I know that the body that I walk around in does not belong to me. It belongs to my Father in heaven. And so whether we're talking about how, if you're just talking about abusing it by not sleeping and getting the rest and taking care of it, that's one thing. And there's a whole bunch of other illustrations for that. But you're to take care of your body because it doesn't belong to you. Your life, it's not your life. It's a holy set-aside thing. Your purpose, where you're going, what you're going to do in this life, it, it doesn't belong to you. Can you not hear Paul, as he said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, have you not learned that your body is the home of the Holy Spirit God gave you and that he lives within you? Your body does not belong to you, for God has brought, bought you with a great price. You have been bought and paid for. Or what about 1 Peter 2? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, when he was telling uh, his audience, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, are the very famous one, and you know this one from grade school, from vacation Bible school, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. You have a holy purpose as an individual. And some of that same imagery that's tied up in this cult, that was, this, it, wasn't, it, was a, it wasn't that there was anything genetically or materially different about this animal. It was that it was an animal that had been set aside for a particular purpose. And the man god that would be riding this beast into Jerusalem was a holy thing. It was the son of the living God coming to sacrifice his life. Holy things set aside. Uh, things set aside for God's purposes. Um, this week I had a very interesting conversation with two different people before I go on to the next point. But this week I had a very interesting conversation with two, two, two very good friends. An older lady, not from here, she lives pretty far off from Texas here, who admitted to me that she was not a Christian. And I asked her several times, are you saved? And she said, no, Brother Mike, I'm not. And I said, well, you know, and she, and she knows what Christianity is. She knows what the cross is. Her children, her grandchildren even are saved, but she's not. And I found out that this almost 80-year-old woman is not a Christian. She's a good friend of mine. I felt so bad because I should have known this years ago. And I said, well, wouldn't you? I presented the plan of salvation to her, and I was telling her about following Christ. And she said, no, I'm not ready yet. I don't want to do that yet. So I had that, on, on the same day I had that conversation, that evening I had a young man from McAllister, Oklahoma call me and say, a promising medical student, he's a genius, he comes from a great Christian family, I mean, he, a lot of expectations, he's one of those families guys, you know what I'm talking about, he's expected to do something great. Randy, Brother Randy, you know what I'm talking about, you know those kinds of, those kinds of people, some, they're expecting him to do great things, he's a promising medical student in, in medical school, called me this week thinking about pulling out because he feels called to the ministry. It's an unspoken request. It's spoken to about 200 people this morning. But What a contrast. Somebody who doesn't even want to say yes to Jesus and the salvation he provides, and others, somebody else who realizes that his life doesn't belong to him. Because the future as a doctor, I mean, to have the, the material blessings that would come out of that, are, we can't even imagine. But he says, no, because I pushed him on it. I said, are you sure? What about a medical missionary? I said, Ron, I don't know if that was Satan or me playing devil's advocate, but I just said, what about a medical missionary? He says, no. I'm thinking the Lord's leading me to, to be a missionary and just preach the gospel. This 25-year-old young man. Holy things set aside. That's one of the things that we see here in this action of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. It's, brand new. it's not a brand new concept, but it was a concept that was hitting them, and it was hitting them right, right in the face. A holy time and special 
holy things, and then we see a holy worship that is manifest, a special kind of worship that's manifest. He says in verse 6, they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. And this is where the worship Look what it says in verse 7. This is a form of worship. They brought the colt to Jesus, and they put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread the leafy branches which they had cut uh, in the fields. And those who went in front and, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna to the highest. There's some special things that are happening here in this moment. As Jesus rides in Jerusalem, let me share a couple of them with you. Number one, one of the things is they're spreading their coats. They're spreading their coats, and they're, they're following in front of him and behind him. The attention, the concentration is on Jesus. Um, and I want to tell you, for those of you who, I just want to tell you, one of the things that we're going to struggle with in the coming years of the church is keeping the focus on Jesus. That's, I'm talking to church. I'm talking about we're going to struggle in the New Testament church in America on keeping the focus on Jesus because we have a tendency to make it about everything else. We tend to make it about, oh my goodness, where can I start on that list, Brother Terry? Where can I start? We make it about everything else but Jesus. But what we want people to find when they come into the doors of the sanctuary here is not the preacher, not, and not even, and it's not the, the choir and the music and all those things. We are we are being faithful and faithfully trying to minister, but we don't do these things to entertain you. We're doing these things to invite you into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you come in here and you're still saved, and we robbed your attention from Jesus to a man or a program or a building or anything else, well, we failed in our mission. It's about Jesus. The attention is focused on him. And there's a second thing that's happening here. There's submission. As they are laying those their coats on the animal and as they are putting their coats on the beast of burden. This is an act or a form of submission. And so the second thing, the second thing they're doing is they're submitting to this man riding in. They're saying, this is that new Messiah. Hey, this is the guy right here. This is the one we've been taught. Yeah, the Messiah we've heard about all our lives. He's coming. He's going to throw that Roman yoke off. So that was their expectations. Oh, my, it was so much more than that. This, there's, they were going to, in just a few weeks, they were going to kill him. They were going to put him on a cross three days later. He was going to rise up from the dead. And then they were going to have the opportunity to really submit to him. You don't submit to the king of kings by throwing your coat on a beast of burden or cutting a branch and throwing it in the road. You submit to the king of kings when you give him your life and you give it to him forever. And say, I'll follow you wherever you go. Somebody say amen. And that was what, that's, they thought they were being challenged. Jesus riding into Jerusalem then. Ha! When he rose from the dead, then they were going to be challenged what kind of submission they were going to give to the king of kings. And they cried, Hosanna, which in translation means, save us now. Save us from the Romans. Save us from the Romans. And he said, no, I'm coming to save you from yourselves. And let me tell you something. In this coming year, we're going to, we're, I've already talked to some of you, we're going to have some financial programs and different things to help you in your finances. Okay, the Dave Ramsey, we're going to do some of that. We're going to help people who are recovering from divorce or sickness or cancer. We're going to, have, we're going to do a lot of neat things. We're going to have opportunities for neat things to, for, you, for you to do. But that is not what we're trying to save you from. What we all need to be saved from is ourselves. We, that's who Mike Calhoun needs to be saved from. Even as I'm, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. But you know, my fight is not with flesh and blood. It's with Mike Calhoun's own spirit. I need to be saved from myself. And he does that every day when I submit to him. As Jesus rode in, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, save us now. He was going to save them. He was going to save them, but they were going to have to give their lives to him in just a, just a little over a week as he arose from the grave. And so this is a form of adoration, glorification, exaltation, whatever you want to call it. Um, Ferguson and Packer said in their New Dictionary Book of Theology, what is worship? It's man's sense in, of awe in the presence of the magnificent the frightening or the miraculous illustrates something of what is meant by worship. His response may be one of speechlessness, paralysis, emulation, or dedication. And I say all of that to say, Brother Mike, why did you give me that technical definition of what worship is? It's because I want you in this coming year to encounter the God who will move you on the inside, who you will fall down and who you will worship. 
And we see the scene that we are reading about in the book of Mark was an exciting scene. But it's not as exciting as a scene as when you come and meet Jesus on a personal level and you're saved. Or when you come and meet Jesus on a personal Savior and you just get to enjoy his presence. And my prayer for you in this coming year is that as you continue to build that relationship that exists between you and he, he will be something that will put you in awe. He will set you back on your heels. He will mess with you. He will tear you up. He'll tear you down and rebuild you up into something that is fitting for him. Somebody say amen. That's the God I want to worship. You give me, you give me a boring old God that doesn't ever do anything and doesn't going to change my life. That's, that's false worship, brothers and sisters. The God that I met changed my life. 30-something years ago, and he's still trying to change my life when I'm not hard-headed, and I'll submit to him. He's still trying to change me. And you can ask my wife. I still need to be changed. Amen, Brenda? (laughs) Y'all didn't have to laugh that hard. (laughs) About the time you think you don't need to be changed, brother and sister, watch out. The devil's about to get you. You think you've grown all that you need to grow as a Christian? Yep, it's coming. We just need to throw some dirt on you. We do. You're already gone. But when you are broken before the Lord and you know that you are clay in his hands and that you are soft, then you can be the kind of mama you need to be to your your children. When you are soft and palatable, then you can become the kind of husband or the kind of wife you need to be. When you submit to his purposes, then you can be used mightily to lead people to Christ, to be involved in missions, to to share your faith openly. But when you don't think you really need him, guess what? You're not going to be needed of him. He can't, he's not going to be able to use you. All right, let me keep moving on here. Why is it important for us to worship? They were worshiping him. I'm praying for the kind of year that w- the worship will pour out of us towards God. Our focus and our attention will be on him. Do you remember in Luke in 19 and 38 when he said, blessed, bl- saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke the disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would cry out. And I pray for a presence of God in our church, in the Pruitt Baptist Church, that it would be so powerful people couldn't help but to sing when Terry calls on them to sing, to praise him. And I, I don't know, I'm, listen, I tell you, I, I don't have anything for, or I don't have, <laughs> I better be careful. I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me when people raise their hands in church. What bothers me is when people don't think they can do what they need to do in church. And so whether we're standing or we're sitting or you feel I need to raise your hand or to say, to say amen, I was, I was saved and started pastoring churches, and they were expressive churches, and you are a very expressive church, and you're helping me preach when you say amen, and that's right, and you're in agreement. I pray for that kind of freedom, not only from the pulpit, for me, but also from the pulpit for Brother Terry when we are leading in music and when we're leading in chorus. Just go ahead and let it be about you and God. Don't worry. You draw a circle around you and you pray for everything that's inside that circle and worship God from that circle and he'll come and meet with you. Amen? You remember when Peter got out on the water and he, all, and he walked, but he took his eyes off of Jesus for a minute about to sink. Jesus helped him get in the boat. When he got in the boat, the wind stopped and those who were with him, they stopped and they fell down and they worshiped him. I pray that in a few of the storms that we inevitably will have, that even in the midst of those storms, as God brings us through them, you'll fall down and worship. Whenever you find something, for those who walk in the door and they find Jesus for the very first time, just like the wise men did in Matthew 2 and 12, they fell to the ground and they worshiped him. Or like Brother Roger read out of Revelations 5, but I picked Revelations 4 and 8, Brother Roger. And the four beasts, and each of them had six wings, and they were full of eyes within and without and they rest, day, they rest not day or night. They sing, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, which was and is to come. And when these beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, I pray that your, your year will be a year filled with worshiping God. And then those... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Quiet moments, just like in Luke 7 and 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. That is a form of worship. I'm praying for you in your public form of worship and in your private worship. I hope you have a private worship time with him. And just as the psalmist said in Psalms 1 and 18, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his loving kindness, and everything. Oh, Israel, his loving kindness. Verse 14 says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. In verse 19 of that same chapter, chapter, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you. You have answered me, and you have become my salvation. And the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief's cornerstone. I pray that this is a year filled with worship for you, that the, the stone that the rest of the world is rejecting is the one that we worship. And what everybody else counts as shame, we'll count as our crown and our glory, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Worship is about a love relationship between us and God. And they thought they were worshiping that day. A man who was going to come and rescue them politically, militarily. They thought they were worshiping him that day. But oh my goodness, in just a few short days, you'd go to the cross he would die for the sins of those same people. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them would be converted and saved. And then they began to worship, brothers and sisters, in spirit and truth, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because worship is about a relationship between us and God. And we have been built for worship. You have been built to love something. You have been built to worship something. All of us have. You just have to choose what it is you're going to love and you're going to worship. The story is told by Ida Faye Ogilvy about an eight-year-old little girl, and she was in an orphanage in Pennsylvania. It was just in 1983. And the child was shy. She was unattractive and somewhat of what was considered at that time in that institution to be a problem child to work with. She had been transferred by other, two other institutions, and they too seemingly looking for some reason to move this one down the line somewhere. And one day someone noticed her writing a letter, and they had an ironclad rule in that institution that all communication from one of the children had to come through the office and be read and approved first before it went out and mailed. And the next day, the director, after they seen this child do this, the director and one of her assistants watched the child as she closely slipped away from the dormitory at lunch. She went down to the main gate, and then she went just outside the main gate, and there was this old tree with its roots sticking up out of the ground. And they followed and they watched her. And she took a letter, and she put it deep inside the crevice of that, one of the roots. Carefully, the, the little girl scurried away and went back to the dormitory. And the director and the assistants, they pounced. They ran over to the note. They took the note out of the tree, and the little girl, the little eight-year-old girl, had, read, had wrote a note, and it read, To anybody who finds this, I love you. You see, it's, that is one of our greatest needs, is just to be loved. To anybody who finds this. And this is what God was doing through his son Jesus. But he didn't take it and hide it in the roots of a tree. He hung it on a tree for the whole world to say. And that's his love letter to you saying, look, to anybody who finds this, I love you. And that's the great story that we have to take in this year. That's the great story we have to tell. And that's the great story that is worth worshiping. The man Jesus, God's own love letter that he sent to a lost and dying world. Can I get one more Amen. Father, my prayer for this congregation and for myself, Lord, is that we will experience you in a new and fresh way this coming year, dear Lord. That we won't be held back by the trappings of religion or church or politics. But, Father, that we'll fall headlong in love with you. We'll allow you to love us, dear Lord. Father, I pray this morning for that one that's here, dear Lord. And they're looking, they're searching for their purpose in life, dear Lord. I pray that they would find it this morning. His name is Jesus, Father. I pray they would find Jesus this morning. And Father, my prayer for the rest of us, many of us this morning, dear Lord, 
is that we not allow our faith to become a dry, old, dead thing hidden between the roots of a tree and the ground, dear Lord. But it would be a fresh, vibrant life of believers, of men and women who are passionately, unashamedly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, who will tell anyone who stands still long enough to be told that Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Lord, I pray for men and women who've been filled with your love to that extent. I pray it for myself, dear Lord, and I pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Our question this morning is this. What makes a dynamic church? What makes a dynamic church? Is it location, location, location? Is it a great preacher? Is it a traditional music program or a contemporary music program or a blended music program? Is it great Sunday school? Great Sunday school leaders and teachers and programs? Is it generous stewardship? What makes a dynamic church? Is it beautiful modern facilities? Or is it just sweet fellowship among the people? What really makes a dynamic church? Well, let me just say that a great location can help, but it's not necessary. The preacher's fame or education is not the answer. I can tell you that for sure. The music program of the churches are as varied as the names and places. I always find it interesting observing the names of different churches. I still love the little church out by Canton, Little Hope Baptist Church. And there are as many New Beginning Baptist churches in the world as there are First Baptist churches, I think. Starting over, in other words, New Beginning. Is it the music program? Is that what really does it? Think about it. Some churches have pipe organs, and we get to go every once in a while over to Green Acres for their 4th of July presentation. They'll have a 100-voice choir or 100-plus voice choir over there. And it's, and it's gorgeous, and it's wonderful. But what about it? Is, it? is that what's required? What about the little church out in the country that has an upright piano and a volunteer song leader? What about the bluegrass gospel music? I, I love it. I, I love bluegrass gospel, but that doesn't mean that I don't love all the other music too. I love the old hymns because the old hymns are important to us. They teach us about the Word of God. They teach us about doctrine. It might be a church with a four-piece string band. I've attended some of those. Or maybe a 40-piece orchestra, and I've been to some of those. Or there could be a hundred other variations as far as music is concerned. And listen, is that what makes a dynamic church? I'm going to say no, it's not. Great Sunday school, generous stewardship, great facilities, all of those things can help, they can assist. Sweet fellowship, of course, is important, it's valuable, but that's not what makes a dynamic church. In fact, this church, I'm going to give you a history lesson. This church was organized under a tree in 1896. Under a tree, okay? Later, there was a brush arbor and an outhouse. Amen to the outhouse. The only instruments were the guitar or fiddle that were brought from home once in a while. They only had a halftime preacher. That meant he was here every other Sunday. But the Methodist church had a preacher on the opposite Sunday, so everybody went to church together. You either at the Baptist church or at the Methodist church, Sunday after Sunday. And that preacher was paid in homegrown vegetables and an occasional chicken. I hope we don't go back to that because not many of you have chickens or homegrown vegetables, right? The congregation stood or sat on hard homemade benches or maybe a stump or maybe a blanket that you brought from home. Unlike it is here, it was hot in summer and cold in the winter. Some of y'all complain about it being cold in the summer here. They were baptized in the pond right across the road most of the time. But it was, folks, and remains a dynamic church. 
Now, I know that there's maybe not a lot of people that stop to think about Pruitt Baptist Church being a dynamic church, but I want you to know it's a dynamic church. This is a dynamic church that you are a part of. And we're going to talk about what characterizes a dynamic church. And in doing so, we need to also realize that we need to protect and guard those characteristics. We need to do all, do all that we can to be sure that it continues on. I know that there's a lot of people think that uh, the only dynamic churches are the mega churches, the, the Preston World, Prestonwood Church, either way, or the Green Acres Baptist Church or some of the other big churches. They're not the only dynamic churches. Listen, like I said, it can be a little bitty church out in the country and be a dynamic church. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter 4 and just a couple of verses, beginning in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but, uh, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now I want you to notice some things about this church. This was the first church of Jerusalem. On the day it was organized, notice what happened. That's found over in chapter 2, over in chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now listen, that's the day it was organized. I want to tell you the first church in Jerusalem, first church of the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem was a dynamic church on the day it was organized. In verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, it was a dynamic church. And then Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was about 5,000. There were like 15,000 who were saved and baptized in the initial days of this dynamic church, the first church, first Christian church of the city of Jerusalem. I believe all would agree that it was a dynamic church. But I want you to notice what we're going to discover makes for that church to be the way it is to be a dynamic church. It's there in those verses that we read earlier. The first thing, the first characteristic of a dynamic church is unity. It's unity. We read it in verse 32, "...the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul." Folks, the value of unity in the body of Christ can never be overstressed. How important it is for us to be unified. We need to be of one heart. We need to be of one soul. We need to be of one mind. We need to have the same goals in mind for all of the people of the church. This church was born in unity. They all continued with one accord. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts 2 1 says they were all with one accord in one place. In Acts 4 32, as we read, the multitude were of one heart and of one soul. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12 5, we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Listen, folks, I want you to know we're together in this. If you're not together with us, then Let's talk to you about being saved so that we can be together in this. We're not to be out there destroying one another. We're to be out there helping one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all seek the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. He says we're to be together in this matter of serving the Lord. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are one body made up of many members. We are joined together for the purpose of fulfilling the Lord's great commission in our little corner of the world. God has given us an assignment. 
our responsibility is to win every lost person to Jesus that lives around us. Not my words, the words of the Lord. I remember in some of the old time movies a long time ago, it showed slaves shackled to the oars down in the hull of a ship. At the voice of the taskmaster, they would all pull. Or they'd beat the drum and they'd all pull together. Now listen, it was critical that they all pulled together. They had to work together to keep the ship on course. One person not doing his responsibility. I think it's always interesting whenever we have a group come in to sing, you know, and they always want you to clap. I think it's always kind of funny that sometimes, sometimes when I clap, it's in between the time when everybody else claps. You ever notice that? You have to pull together. Otherwise, you get off course. And if you get off course, then you arrive at the wrong destination. Now, there's a neat lesson to be learned there because God has a destination for us. And I want you to know that He tells us that He's not coming back until everybody's had an opportunity to be saved. And so if we're not busy trying to help people understand their need to trust Christ, then we're not fulfilling our responsibility. We're not pulling at the right time. We're slaves to Christ, the Bible says. Pulling together in unity at His command is our responsibility in order for us to reach the desired destination. The first thing I want you to notice about this dynamic church was they were unified. The second thing I want you to notice is that they were un- Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Selfish. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. They were unselfish. Now, would you not agree with me that as human beings, we are naturally selfish and self-centered? And I know what some of you are saying, well, preacher, everybody else is, but I'm not. <laughs> right? I don't, don't. Yeah, y'all are, but I'm not. No one has to teach a child how to be possessive and selfish. It just comes naturally. One of the first words a child learns is the word mine. We've had the twins since Friday afternoon. It has been a joy, but just this morning, I heard one of them say to the other, that's mine. In other words, get your hands off. Now, kids are that way naturally, and I want to tell you something, we grow up with that. Sometimes adults are no different. After all, if you work hard on a project at work, you don't want anybody else getting credit for that, do you? I deserve the credit for that. And sometimes it doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't really matter just so long as the job gets done. If you've bought something and paid for it, you don't want to have to share it with somebody else, do you? I bought some fishing lures to take with me on my trip. I bought them to share. But I brought extra so that I can share, you see. If you have something planned and a friend needs your help, what do you do? Make an excuse, don't we? We sometimes make an excuse. Whenever I visit folks, you know, and I ask them and I invite them to come to church and they inevitably they'll say, I'll try. Do you know what the words I'll try mean? I won't. I won't. I won't be there. It's, it's a word. It's a phrase of non-commitment. You know what? We are naturally selfish. But the child of God whose heart is right with God has the testimony of unselfishness unselfishness you remember that famous verse in the third chapter of the book of john anybody remember that verse for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life listen the selfish thing for god to do was to save his own son and nobody would have blamed him if he had done that nobody would have blamed him 
But that would have been the selfish thing. Rather, he looked at us unselfishly, and because he loved us, he chose to allow his son to go to the cross, knowing that that was the only way that any of us could ever have forgiveness for our sins and eternal life. God's unselfish character is revealed for us so that we might understand the principle of God's love. He showed us His love unselfishly. This church was a dynamic church because it was unified, because it was unselfish, and because it was unreserved. Unreserved. Verse 31 said, They spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Folks, here's the answer to our question, the question from the beginning. A dynamic church is one that is made up of believers who are unreserved when it comes to sharing their faith in Christ. Listen, we have a dynamic church because we have people who are willing to share Jesus. Because we have people who are willing to demonstrate their faith in God by the way they live their lives. Folks, being unreserved means being unafraid. Why should we be afraid? And yet I know that sometimes it happens to us. Why should we be afraid to share the greatest news, the greatest thing that has ever happened in our lives, you know? I mean, if I'm walking down the street out here and I don't think it's yours and I find a $10 bill, I'm going to say hallelujah. I'm going to let everybody know that I found a $10 bill. You know that? Because I don't think it belongs to anybody close by, right? Why is it that we can stand up and shout and testify about our favorite football team, about our favorite quarterback? Why is it we don't have problem wearing our t-shirt that says Van Vandal's on it, but we have a hard time telling people about our faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, everybody out there needs it, and we know they need it, so we've got to be willing to tell them we need a church that is unreserved. Our problem is that we don't like rejection. Well, preacher, what if I go to that person, they slam the door in my face? What if I go to that person and they reject me, they get mad at me, or they hurl some evil statement at me, or they pick on me as a result of it? What if that happens? Well, there's a word in the Bible for you. Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. That's what Jesus said. Because of your faith, listen, you're not ever going to fit in. Verse 2, you're not supposed to fit in to the lifestyle of the world. You've been saved out of the world. Folks, we're not chosen to be loved by the world, but to love the world unreservedly and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise. Somebody comes to you and asks you if you're a Christian, you're supposed to say, yes, and I'm proud that I am. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Listen, if you're acting strange to somebody, they're going to wonder what's wrong with you and maybe ask you. So act strange. Peter says we're a peculiar people. Peculiar. We're supposed to be different. Paul encourages us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, we're to stand. We're to stand proudly, not arrogantly, but proudly, and we are to stand unreserved. The Bible tells us that when you're clothed in the armor of God and, in, and, and empowered by the Spirit of God, you can boldly stand against the enemy of God. But if you're wishy-washy, then the enemy might sometimes have his way with you. The great evangelist Charles G. Finney once said, since revival can never lay hold upon the world until it has first laid hold upon the church, 
the need is for the fountains of the sin to be broken up in the church. Backslidden Christians must be brought to repentance. They must have their faith renewed before the world can be moved. We must renew the image of Jesus Christ in ourselves because it is vain even to call the church to love others when the church has ceased to love Jesus Christ. So what makes a dynamic church? I said we're a dynamic church. And we are. And I believe that. Because we are unified and because we are unselfish and because we are, this is the hard one, because we are unreserved when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just go be that. Just go be that. We need to commit ourselves to be committed to the task of proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. Father, I thank You for this day. And I thank You, Father, that You have preserved for us this Word of the Lord. That, Father, we might read and understand what it means for us to be the kind of church that You want us to be. Dear Father, I pray that if there's, if there's a problem with unity within the church, that God you might reveal it to us as individuals and help us to make our commitments to you and make our commitments to one another that we'll be unified. And dear Father, I pray that you'll, that you'll speak to our hearts today and help us to remember that it's natural for us to be selfish, but you want us to be unnatural. You want us to be a supernatural by being unselfish uh, because of the Spirit of God. And Father, I pray for courage. Dear Father, I pray that You'll help us to have the courage to take our stand, to represent Jesus and show to the world that Jesus transforms our lives. Help us to reveal it by the way we live, but Father, help us also to be faithful to speak the Word of the Lord so that others might be saved. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now. I pray You'll save those who have not been saved, who have never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith. And I pray, Father, that You'll call us to recommitment, to rededication. Help us to be reclaimed, as Finney has said. Help us to be renewed and refreshed and recommitted unto the task to which You've assigned us. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now and give us the courage and the faith to believe and to take our stand with Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda, where you can always listen by phone. Just call 701-801-4444. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. When does alcohol become an addiction? How can we control the psychological and social pressures that lead to overdrinking? We'll hear from someone who beat her addiction. It's the anticipation of relaxing and unwinding. For me, when I would reach for the glass of wine and start pouring it, I'd be like, oh, I feel better, things are good. It was before I even took that first sip. Then, most public infrastructure projects seem to take forever and cost too much. A top expert explains why and shares ideas to make these projects more cost-effective. One of the biggest problems I think taxpayers have is that there always seems to be cost inflation for these facilities, and yet so much of them are in poor repair. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show. Stay tuned. InfoTrack begins right after this. Wake up to the power of the dollar at Taco Bell. 
where you can get the new $1 breakfast stacker, loaded with three lavish layers of fluffy eggs and melty cheese. Three layers? There are three sides to the pyramid on the dollar bill. Is the Bell Luminati behind this? Maybe the $1 breakfast stacker is the new morning order. Experience the power of the dollar at Taco Bell. At participating locations for a limited time during breakfast hours, prices may vary tax extra. In winter, you can practically hear your skin changing. Drying out, flaking, tightening, becoming itchy, irritated, and inflamed. You need the fast relief of Cortisone 10 Intensive Healing Anti-Itch Cream. Unlike regular lotions, Cortisone 10 relieves itch and irritation with 1% hydrocortisone, the strongest non-prescription itch medicine, plus seven healing moisturizers. With Cortisone 10, winter can just sound fun again. Cortisone 10. Feel the heal. Use as directed. Hello, I'd like to deposit this to checking. Fate is a fickle master. What? The future is uncertain. Okay, and what's my account balance? Ah, the horizon is cloudy. I see a long, treacherous voyage Um, filled with great peril. Look, can I just get a deposit slip or something? A fortune bank teller. Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. I see a yellow-eyed serpent and a low APR. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Only one event unites the world. The 2018 Winter Olympics. And there it is! Sean White double gold. Boy, does he deliver. See the world's best. Lindsey Vaughn is a gold medalist. And see the world at its best. To the finish, the Kalen Schifrin wins gold for the U.S. The 2018 Winter Olympics, coming February 8th, only on NBC. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Has alcohol become too big a part of your life? or the life of someone you care about. Our next guest has advice on ways to control over drinking. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Many people enjoy an occasional alcoholic drink, which sometimes morphs into several drinks a day and is no longer enjoyable. But a new book is out for those who question whether drinking has become too much a part of their lives, and it brings strategies on cutting back or stopping. Joining us now is Annie Grace, author of This Naked Mind, Control Alcohol, Find Freedom, Discover Happiness, and Change Your Life. Annie, your strategies to cut down or stop, which we'll get to shortly, stem from what you say are misconceptions about drinking. So let's take a few of those one at a time. First, the idea that drinking makes a person more confident, true, false? I think it's true in the moment, but over time, it certainly erodes your confidence. And you find that for a lot of things about alcohol. There's an instantaneous positive effect that's quickly replaced by a much more cumulative negative effect. And how about the idea that alcohol relaxes a person? That's a really interesting one because for the first 30 minutes, your blood alcohol content is rising, and that gives you these nice, relaxed, euphoric feelings.